When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I am in conversation with DraftKings college football analyst and the host of the Gojo podcast, Mike Golick Jr. In our conversation, we get into all of the rigmarole around the Michigan sign-stealing scandal, how much it does or doesn't actually play into what happens on the field, what Gojo thinks about the battle in the trenches on both sides of the ball that'll happen on Saturday in Ann Arbor and much, much more. Now, before we get into that conversation, if you're finding this episode on LandGrantHolyLand.com, please make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. Also, if you wouldn't mind, throw us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. All right, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Mike Golick Jr., All right, Mike, so much of the buildup for the Ohio State-Michigan game this year, at least over the past month or so, has been about the sign-stealing scandal and cheatings and suspensions and conspiracy theories and tinfoil hats and all of that stuff. I don't want to spend too much time on that. I want to get into real football, but I, I do want to kind of just get your perspective as a former player how much you think, especially from an offensive line perspective, when so much has to do with scheme and protections and all of that stuff, how much something like this could potentially have an impact on a game? And I don't, I'm not talking about this specific situation, but, you know, regardless of what, you know, what it actually did or not uh, in between these last two games between Ohio State and Michigan, but just in a general way, how much of an impact can it have when your opponents know your signs? Uh, yeah, I think as we've gone through this, my response has always been in critical situations, there might be something to glean, but overall it's so complex and week to week, most teams, especially going into a big like game like this, especially if you've known as most big 10 opponents have insinuated over the last few years that they smelled something funky with this, you should be changing up your signals. And so my thoughts always been, if you're doing what you're supposed to do and mixing up signals in critical spots, if you're going through the lengths that most teams have gone through to hide them, whether it's having multiple signalers on the sideline, whether it's having the boards that have all the different pictures and what have you, then it should be pretty difficult outside of a couple of situations for it to really impact the you know the mode of a game now maybe if you want to say in a big third down or down in the red zone they get one at the right time and they absolutely get you nailed because of it then great but 
other than that, between all the things that especially, uh, you know, that take as an offensive line that I know we're going to do as far as probably window dressing with a few different formations, even to get into protections that we want to, how you talk about that, having dummy calls at the line of scrimmage to throw off the guys that are actually on the field. I think more often than not, yeah, listen, there's value to it or else they wouldn't have gone through such extreme lengths to do it. Most people wouldn't go through the lengths that they go to try and steal signs, but it can absolutely have an impact. But ultimately, as we've seen in this game in years past, especially so much comes down to, hey, are you just winning your one-on-one matchup or not? And that's something I think both sides take enough pride in to say, yeah, it it could absolutely have an effect, but I I think only so much and in limited spots just because of how difficult trying to do anything in this realm in football is in particular because of all the variables that this sport has versus sports like baseball that are more one-on-one matchup driven. Yeah, I I know this will probably not be popular with Ohio State fans, but I've been saying since the beginning, to me, this has been far more about the entertainment value of the spectacle that we've had as everything's rolled out uh, than an actual impact. Of course, as an Ohio State fan and and I, I cover them, if if those games end up getting vacated, I will use that to troll from here to eternity. But in the big scheme of things, I watched those games. I don't know how much signs would have actually mattered, especially last year when it ended up being kind of a laugher at the end. So I think I'm on the same page as you. But um, last question before we move on to the real on the field stuff. Can you remember anything in college football or maybe in sports in general that has been this comical, this Keystone Cops level buffoonery that has come out from all angles of this, not just with the Connor Stallions part of it, but the conspiracy theories, the RICO charges, uh, all of these different things that we've been witnessing over the past few weeks? Ah, uh, man. I mean, it, we've only, only because we've made the comparison so much, but hearing, uh, was it Bill Belichick get up and give a diatribe about PSI and about like the physics of inflating footballs at some point probably qualifies in that. I think Deflategate's been the most instructive on a number of levels because at the end of that too, now I will say the Michigan sign stealing scandal has done a phenomenal job of layering all of these different little nuggets that you just mentioned. And so it's made the entertainment value hold a lot better than something like Deflategate where once we got through the initial wave, I got to a point very quickly because we were overrun with lawyer news and legal mumbo jumbo, the likes of which we've seen here to where I was just like, all right, skip the labor and show me the baby. Like, just tell me when you've got the suspension, I'll react to it then, but you're not going to draw any more reaction out of me. This one's done a lot better job and college football just in general is so much better. I mean, we've got uncle T added to the list now as the alleged booster that was funding all of this. It's all so perfect. So you're right. You know what? I'm glad you said that. We should look at this. Yes, there's some of it that's serious, but in general, everyone's trying to steal some signs. In football, it's complicated enough to where it can only affect so much. And so this includes Michigan fans. I hope everyone has enjoyed themselves the time to laugh at this. While the players and coaches have to take this very seriously, and I understood the emotion from Sharon Moore, and I understand the player mentality that leads you to the us versus everybody thing that they've all run with, for the rest of us on the outside, we are afforded the ability to take a step back to live other parts of our lives and then to come to this and say, hey, we're allowed to laugh because this is all really freaking funny. The only thing that could have made it better and almost to tie it back into deflate gate is I was I knew it wasn't going to happen, obviously, but I was really, really hoping that when like Scooby and Shaggy pulled the mask off Uncle T, that that T stood for Tom Brady. I That would have been the only thing that could have made this whole thing better as far as I'm concerned. 
And shame on social media. That's really the culprit here and ruining that for us because that rumor got started and then immediately stamped out like 15 minutes later by reporters. And if this was just the print or television days, we'd have gotten a whole news cycle out of Uncle T potentially being Tom Brady. So shame on the internet for ruining the last bits of our fun with this. What a cesspool of of society the internet has become. So, All right, so let's get into the on the field stuff. Uh, you and I talked at the beginning of the season, we talked kind of about Ohio State's biggest weakness being the offensive line. And I think that is still the case, but at least from somebody who watches and obsesses over every single play of the Ohio State football season, they've actually been better than I expected. That was a fairly low bar to clear. I think that the tackles have actually especially as the season has gone on, equated themselves fairly well, at least moderately well to a Big Ten season. Uh, I think the the bigger issue has actually kind of been in the interior, especially at center. As, as you kind of see what this unit has done over the course of the first 11 games, where do you think they stack up? Not necessarily just against a Michigan defensive line, which presumably is going to be the best one that they've faced all season, but just as as compared to like the expectations that you had of them coming in, to the fall campaign. Yeah, I, I think you're right in that it, it kind of ended up where Ohio State lines have been before, right? Tackles usually been an area where Ohio State recruits really top quality athletes across the board. There's been years where they've started four guys that were recruited as tackles all across their offensive line. And so that coming up, the things that they can do athletically going on the run, that's where Ohio State's always been very, very good. So no, not surprised by any of that. And what certainly helps too with all that is You've got some really good backs like Travion Henderson does so much as a running back to help his offensive line in front of him. The way he sets up blocks and approaches situations here, um, you know, you've got other guys in that backfield that have been good in the depth there. So overall, no, I think especially given what we know of the rest of the Big Ten at this point, this is kind of what we expected them to do. It's become this thing with Ohio State and Michigan where we had the bit of wonder about Penn State this season because of all the talent on the defensive front because Drew Aller wasn't uh you know was a new face there that was supposed to be the much more talented version of it and what we ended up getting was a Big 10 season that was overall largely uninteresting because we kind of knew where we were going to eventually get it was going to come down to Ohio State and Michigan and the only measuring stick for the other that we really care about is the other and so watching all the rest of these games yes Ohio State still a comfortable margin better along the fronts than most of their counterparts in the Big Ten this is going to be really the one where ultimately they're judged and then whatever they do in the postseason for Ohio State fans who maybe have caught Michigan here or there, whether it was against uh, Penn State, like you mentioned, or or even Maryland this last week, against those are really them and maybe Rutgers earlier in the season are the only teams that are even, you know, probably even above average at this point that's on Michigan's schedule. But what is it that they are going to try to do to this Ohio State line, and especially Kyle McCord in the backfield, who is not done ex- exceptionally well when pressured, but what are they going to do to try to disrupt whatever progress that the offensive line has made so far this season? Throw bodies at them. I mean, they got uh, <laughs> big, big bads along the D line. It's an area that Michigan's recruited and restocked at as well as anybody in college football year after year, even though they, uh, they lose guys. And so between the D line and the linebacker group, they got a lot of guys with pass rush ability that they can throw at you. And, and I think, 
that's at least part of how they're going to do it, present a complex picture, picture, but ultimately try and beat you with hammers, try and beat you going straight up the middle, as you talked about, in the area where you might be most vulnerable. And I think for Ohio State and Michigan the last couple of years, it's been really interesting to watch how that's manifested itself in the game, right? We had two years ago that game in the snow where Michigan came out and that was you know, probably the best offensive line they've had in the last couple of years. Defensively, they had dudes, and they really tried in that game to just beat them downhill and were able to. Last year was a lot more interesting to me because overall in that game, I thought Ohio State acquitted themselves pretty well in the trenches on both sides, and Michigan was able to open up and make some plays on the perimeter in a way that had been, to that point, less a part of their arsenal and so now really on both sides this year I'm kind of looking at the edges to see what's ultimately going to decide it for both teams you know for Ohio State offensively on the perimeter even you know go back to the Penn State game it was kind of a draw across the board it was just Ohio State had Marvin Harrison Jr. and Penn State did not and so now for Michigan do they have someone that's going to be able to check 18 check the rest of this wide receiver group here and try and make that difficult in complement to what they're going to try and do up front. Speaking of 18, obviously, homers that we are here in Buckeye Nation, like we're all pumped about him, maybe not actually continue to actually win the Heisman Trophy, but potentially be one of the rare non quarterbacks slash an actual wide receiver to be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Looking at the field um, with Bo Nix and um, and Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix Jr., how how hard is it to actually compare what those guys do with the ball in their hand every single snap compared to somebody who is dependent on somebody not only getting him the ball, but also a, a potentially being bracketed by defense? When you're trying to say who's the best player in college football, just how difficult is it to like compare those apples and oranges in terms of the positional breakdown of the game? Uh, it's extremely difficult. And I heard, uh, you know, same but different. J.J. Watt was talking about this in terms of the NFL and the MVP award when someone brought up that he should have won the MVP in one of the years that he was defensive player of the year. And he said, no, I shouldn't. And really, no defensive player should. We don't impact the game the same way the guys that touch the ball every snap do down in and down out. There's a different level of responsibility on them and a different part of the job that goes with it for these quarterbacks. And so uh, while I understand people get tired of it being you know just a quarterback award or a popularity contest and stuff, there is part of the, the just the sheer math of the sport is really difficult. I think what helps and what usually hinders wide receivers, it's why it was somewhat surprising when you had Devonta Smith able to win that for uh, at Alabama is when you are a place that's used to like Ohio state, incredible high level, like NFL first round, number one, overall caliber quarterback play. And this, you got Kyle McCord, who when I've seen him by and large, been a very good college quarterback as one most teams would like, but relative to the standard, especially for Ohio state, where it was CJ Stroud throwing Marvin Harrison jr. The ball last season, you can clearly see, all right, he's not getting the same additional support from that position that we're used to that. A lot of these other teams, these players we talk about, because you know, you look at LSU, for example, in any other year, Malik Neighbors is probably getting talked about a little bit, right? He's been sensational, put up video game numbers for them, but the quarterback. And so I, I think for Marvin Harrison Jr., one, we've seen him do it consistently. He walked into this year with a lot of momentum and a name value that people trust and understood. And I think for non-quarterbacks, that's huge. If you walk in and people already have their eyes trained on you for something special, that's important. When in the big games, like we saw against Penn State, we can point and say, you were the clear difference in the game. They had nobody that could stop 
stop you. That's easy for people to see, even if they can't understand. Well, it was even more difficult because you had two sets of eyes on you that entire time. Well, it was even more difficult because you had to do this in a scramble drill. That doesn't matter. The end result is so easy to see with him because he's that exemplary. So I think all of those things work in his favor because we can clearly see relative to a stocked quarterback class across the board, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player on this offense, and that includes his quarterback, and that's shown up in big in big enough moments to, I think, register here. I would love it if he went out and scored four or five touchdowns this weekend and had 200 yards. I mean, that would that would do it for me. So I, I think that would be a, a nice little addition to his Heisman resume. But um, before we get back to, to the actual game, who do you have as a front runner for the Heisman? Uh, listen, I think right now, some of the recency bias and full disclosure, I am a voter, so I can't totally divulge ah, all this. It. I okay. think I always want I always wander around the lines on this. and I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to tell people who I'm voting for before I vote. I usually do the whole song and dance like the other Heisman voters and release my yeah, ballot yeah. after and feel really important. But I, I'd say this. It's hard to look away from what Jaden Daniels has done for the rest of the yeah. week, but I have to remember it's a full body of work award. And so the fact that you have had Bo Nix. Two years in a row now, be this sensational, but especially this year at the helm of that offense, also coming off a very big weekend for him. Michael Penix Jr. has been sensational for large stretches of this year, and so I think those Pac-12 quarterbacks really, because it's a full body of work award, do warrant a lot of consideration, even if, especially as of late, Jaden Daniels has come in and put up numbers that have us all searching through records books to find out just what he's broken next. Yeah, and his his passing numbers are up there with him, and in some cases beating them. But you throw in he's got a thousand rushing yards. That's 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 a pretty eye popping number. But um, to get back to the Ohio State Michigan game, if we switch over from talking about the offensive line of Ohio State and the defensive line of Michigan, and kind of switch that, we have seen that, especially in that Penn State Michigan game, that it almost looks like Sharon Moore and and by extension Jim Harbaugh are a little wary of the offensive line's ability to protect J.J. McCarthy. We saw him go seven for eight in the first half against the Nittany Lions and then didn't officially attempt to pass in the second half. And I think there's some of that where you can say, well, they didn't trust the quarterback. But if you watch the game, I think it probably had more to do with the offensive line. How 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 much do you put that on how much they thought that the quarterback could lead them to a victory and how much do you think that there was maybe just concern about the the offensive line being a little bit too porous in a really, really tight must-win game? Yeah, so first off, I give Jerome Moore a lot of credit for making that adjustment on the fly. Your right tackle had a tough early portion of the day. We can call it what it is. Chop Robinson coming back for that game, you saw, made a big impact very early on. And so they looked around at what they needed to win this particular game and said, all right, on the other side, Penn State's offense really isn't posing much of a threat. They hadn't been able to go downfield and hurt anybody all year, and that proved true yet again that day. And so they said, all right, we're going to treat this a lot more like third down as a prime running down. We might be more willing to go for it on fourth down so you can increase, uh, change the way you call plays. And Michigan flexed back into the old them. They hadn't won this way for a majority of this season. They'd been more of a middle-of-the-pack rushing year for Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. It really hadn't been the same thing that we saw in 2022 until this game when they said, we'll put seven offensive linemen out there. We'll help our guys that are having some trouble, and we'll play this whole game a little bit closer to the vest because the only way we're going to give Penn State a chance to win that game is if we let their defense go out and win it. And so they played it more conservatively than I thought. And coming off that game, I had those same concerns of, all right, well, there's a few moments, third downs late in the game where 
if you trusted your quarterback, I thought you'd put the ball in his hands. I think now looking back on it and studying it more, they've trusted J.J. McCarthy a lot this year. They, I think, read the situation correctly in that game. And so it's going to be a question of, one, now in this game, you're going to have to have a plan for how you help your offensive line, but also do it in a way that's going to allow you to still utilize the passing game because you're not going to be able to win playing the same brand of hyper-conservative football that you did against Penn State for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, This Ohio State defensive front was game last year in this game, and I believe walks into this one ready to go and ready to meet that challenge if you want to just go blunt force trauma. One of the issues that Ohio State has had this season and honestly in the past couple seasons has been converting in the red zone. And it's especially been uh, a point of concern coming into this game because Michigan, depending on whether you're looking at just overall red zone Uh, conversion percentage or especially touchdown conversion percentage is either number one or number two in the country. When you're down in there inside the 20 yard line, what changes? Obviously the amount of space that you have to play in shrinks considerably, but beside that, what, what has to change to be successful in the red zone? Is it play calling? Is it mentality? What, what does an offense has to do that struggled in the red zone to get over that hump and to score when they do get close to the goal line? Yeah, I think honestly down in the red zone, and this is part of the difficulty, and this is why you've seen Ohio State at times go uh, and and put Devin Brown in there in games, is having a mobile quarterback helps you a ton in the red zone, especially in modern college football where so many people have it. One, in passing downs, it allows you to start to get the defense to have to bend a little bit. You get on the perimeter, you make plays hold a little bit longer, it gets to scramble drill where it's harder for these defensive backs who finally have the advantage when you get to the red zone, right? You mentioned the windows start to shrink, so everything happens a little bit faster, and you can really go out of your way to confuse quarterbacks, drop into windows when quarterbacks are trying to get the ball out of their hands quick. The way a quarterback can mitigate that is, hey, the longer you hold it, if your line can protect, if you can break contain, now all of a sudden you can make some stuff happen. And then being able to buy an extra hat in the run game. I mean, being able to control the line of scrimmage, I think, is ultimately the most important red zone factor. Can you go and get wins in the point in the portions of whatever blocking scheme you're running that you need to those one or two guys that you need to get a win over onto the backside linebacker on gap schemes on the front side of an outside zone play can you control the line of scrimmage there and having a quarterback whose legs have to be respected is almost always something that's going to help a ton in that area because you're looking for split seconds of difference and you got a quarterback that now all of a sudden they've seen keep the ball once even if it hasn't worked even if it's just a dummy thing to set it up for later they've got to think about it because if not then you've got those split seconds on the other way where the quarterback can make you pay. So I think those things really stand out to me overall, building off the central thesis that, like you said, we all know is window shrink. Everything has to happen faster. There is much less the defense has to account for because you don't have to worry about guys taking the top off a defense. The speed that usually keeps most defensive coordinators up at night is a lot less effective in the short area. Yeah. Uh, I'll wrap it up with these two questions. If Ohio State is going to win this game, what is the one thing that they have to do? Uh, I think pressure J.J. McCarthy. I think you were spot on with that. They've got to find ways to get home to the quarterback and make him extremely uncomfortable. We saw it's possible. And again, I think because Ohio State's offense is going to stress Michigan's defense in a different way than Penn State was able to, I think you're going to have much more opportunities for that. I do not think that Michigan's going to be able to just say, hey, we're going to go super jumbo personnel and we're going to run duo downhill and counter at you until the cows come home because I think it's going to take more points to win this game. And I think situationally, 
they're going to have to be in some spots where, hey, you're going to get one-on-one matchups with a couple of these great Ohio State pass rushers on the perimeter on some guys that are compromised. How does Michigan allocate resources to potentially stop that? Are they effective? And then what does that afford Ohio State on the back end as far as pass protection from the you know secondary and the, uh, the linebacker and secondary level for this? How much more ammo does that give them when Michigan's got to worry about those guys up front? Okay, I lied. I said two questions, but you said something that that sparked my my curiosity here. You said you think that there's going to be you're you're going to have to score maybe more points than expected uh, to win this game. I think a lot of people, myself included, were, were thinking that this is going to be a game where points are at a premium. Do you think that that's not going to be the case? Do you think that one of these offenses, or maybe even both of these offenses, are going to be able to crack the code against what is depending on what metric you look at the number one or number two defense in the country? So I think I said that wrong. Points are going to be at a premium, but I think how they're able to move the ball, there's a lid on what Penn State was going to do. Like there was, you knew 10 yards down the field, the cliff fell off for that offense. And so you got to defend them in a different way. And I think that creates a different brand of complimentary football. I think Ohio State is more capable of moving the ball in three dimensions. We'll put it that way because of what you've got in Marvin Harrison Jr. And the rest of this receiver room, I think that affords you more down the field than we've seen for any team that Michigan has really faced so far with the exception of last week against Maryland. You know, you look at that game as, Yeah, a classic look-ahead game and a trap game there and all the things that we know, but the bottom line is that was one of the better passing attacks, if not the best passing attack Michigan had faced so far this season, and they were able to move the ball on them downfield. And so if you're Ohio State looking at that and saying, all right, if we can loosen them up in that way, now all of a sudden we got a ball game, and that stress not only works on just Ohio State offense versus Michigan defense, but I think does directly affect how Sharon Moore ends up calling this game offensively for the Wolverines. All right, so the final question that I was going to to ask is the converse of the other one. If Michigan is going to win this game for the third year in a row, what is it that they have to do to be successful? Uh, they've got, J.J. McCarthy's got to make plays. Like It's so reductive, and I understand we're centering this whole thing around the Michigan quarterback, but he's what won them the game last year. Like he really is, and he's supposed to be the difference when we talk about for Michigan, all these beat Georgia periods going back to the offseason and trying to now take what you've gotten in terms of momentum and experience, winning the Big Ten, getting to the college football playoff, and how you get to that next level. We know Michigan can turn a game into a fist fight and do really well. I think this year, compared to the lines they've had in last years, there's probably a little bit of a step back, but it's like when we talk about the Georgia team overall, they're still among the best in college football. And so I think you've seen more of the offense seeded to J.J. McCarthy than ever this year. The first real big test didn't need to go and answer it against high-level competition in the same way. We've seen him do it against TCU. That game turned into a shootout last year. But I do think ultimately you're going to have to see whether it's with his legs, which he's absolutely capable of, or pushing the ball downfield to Roman and the rest of these guys in the receiver room. You're going to need to see J.J. McCarthy make plays. I really, I think so much of this game is going to be about is Ohio State able to affect him or is he able to do what he did last year, make big plays in the passing game that ultimately throw this game script out of whack. Yeah, Uh, that is where Ohio State fans, I think, are hopeful that the significant improvements that they've seen in the second year of Jim Knowles' defense hold up in this game because that, like you said, what plays that could have been 15, 20-yard completions were turned into 60 to 80-yard completions. And uh, I think that's where Buckeye fans are hoping that the biggest difference is with this defense. Well, well, Mike, enjoy the final week of the regular season. Are, Are you doing a game this weekend? 
I am. I get to call. I, you know what? And I was worried I was going to have to say the final, but thankfully, cooler heads prevailed this week, and I will be calling another uh, in the round of the Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State uh, as they announce they're extending that series till 2028, which is awesome news for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of I would love to see more of those Pac-12 rivalries because I got to tell you. The, even if the the play has kind of been up and down, maybe depending on where we thought it was, the Pac-12 has been entertaining as hell this season. So uh, it's great that it's going out on a high note, but obviously a little bittersweet knowing that everyone's going to be scattered to the wind starting uh, starting next fall. But enjoy that game. I appreciate your insights and uh, uh, get ready for 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 Thanksgiving because I'm sure the Golick family knows how to do that very very well. Exactly. Elastic waistbands only. Thank you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy uh, Enjoy the lead up to the game. We've all been looking forward to this one for a long time. Excited to finally get the thing played.